last week. I didn't get to finish the message last week in the James study, so I'm going to go over a little bit, and then we'll continue. We'll continue where we uh, left off. We'll be looking at the second coming of Christ. Last week's message was called the Return of the King. Uh, this could be Return of the King Part Two, since we didn't finish all of last week. So, our Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. There's not a doubt. Now, there's a lot of mockers in this world. A lot of people say, "Well, where is he? It's been thousands of years. Where is he?" Well, he who causes the sun to rise every day and lights our way by night by the moon, he who controls all things visible and invisible, if he says he's coming back, you can be sure he's coming back. And all through the scriptures it talks about, in the New Testament it talks about the Lord's coming. But this time he won't be coming as a lamb. This time he's coming as a lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah. He came as a lamb the first time, didn't he? Give his life for his people. Scripture says he came to save his people from their sins. His incarnation. The whole reason he came was to die. But this time he's coming back as a lion. He's already victorious. And there be a great day of reckoning for all those who mocked him and said, I don't believe in him. Well, they're going to see him. They're going to see him at his coming. And they're going to see him at the great white judgment throne. My. They're going to see the very one they mocked is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And at all judgment, the Father's given all judgment into his hands. Into his hands. Think of this. The one who is, has all power, the one who has all might, the one who, whose all judgment is in his hand, has saved we who are his people from our sins. My, isn't that wonderful? That's so comforting. To know that the very one who holds everything together by the word of his power holds us in his hands. Keeps us by his almighty power. The scripture says that God's people are kept by the power of God. See, religion tells you it's you who keep yourself. That's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I'll tell you why. I can't keep myself at all. But I trust in the one who can keep all who flee to him can save all who flee to him. You're never too much of a sinner to flee to Christ. Never. My Lord, we see in the Scriptures, saved an adulterer, a murderer, a killer. And then we say he saved us. He can save anyone, can he? If he pleases He's saved drunkards through the years. He's saved prostitutes through the years. He's saved supposed good people through the years who find out that they're not so good. (laughs) My. 
we find out, don't we? We suppose that good people before the Lord saves us, we find out as he reveals himself that we're worse than the worst. And then we find out even after he saves us that we're still sinners in desperate need of Christ. More in need of Christ now than we ever have been before because now we're aware of our sin. Now we're aware of what we are by birth, nature, and choice. Look at James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And we'll continue reading in this section here. James chapter 5, verses 7 to 12. The Scriptures declare, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coven of the Lord. Verse 7. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until you receive the early and latter rain. Be patient. Establish your heart. Look at this. For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. You know, every day it's closer. People say, well, when, when will he return? Well, every day it's getting closer. People say, well, he's... He's been gone for 2,000 years. Yeah, but the scripture says that one day to the Lord is like 1,000 years. So you know what? He's been gone for two days. It's not very long, is it? Not very long in the sight of God. Remember, he's the ancient of days. Ages and ages have passed by. 1,000 years is nothing to him. Nothing. My, oh, my. Grudge not one against another, and brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. But the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Of all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. So again, these words are words written to God's born-again, blood-washed church. They're not written to everybody, but they are written to God's church, those who are born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And again, as we looked at last week, the word patient in in our text there means long-suffering in the Greek. Long-suffering. Is not the Lord long-suffering with us? He is, isn't he? Think of how long-suffering the Lord was with you before he saved you. Think of how long-suffering through the choices we've made, good and bad. Think of how long-suffering the Lord is with us even after we're saved. I made some pretty bad mistakes (laughs) and bad choices. Before the Lord saved me and after the Lord saved me. But you know what? He still keeps me. Keeps me by His almighty power. Oh, it's wonderful. Look at verse 7 again. Be patient, therefore, so patiently wait unto the coming of the Lord. Be long-suffering. Just wait for His coming. Wait for His return. People may mock. Let them mock. I was amongst the mockers before the Lord saved me. I was. I used to mock the Lord's people before, uh, before I was saved. I used to say all kinds of things I wouldn't want to repeat. But here I am now, a preacher of God's righteousness. 
Isn't that incredible? All by His mercy and by His grace. My. He can stop the mocker's mouth, can He? And He will one day. Either if He saves you, you're, you're stop mocking just like that. <laughs> or at your death. Your lips will be quiet then. Right? My, oh my. Oh my. So look at this. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it. So great restraint is brought forth in this verse. These verses here. Great restraint just, just to wait on the Lord. I was talking to somebody in Oregon and he was real frustrated with people leaving the church and all this stuff that he's seen. The restrictions are a lot more um, harder out there than they are here. They're just starting to get back to meeting from what he was saying. And um, I guess it's been really difficult out there. And, and I said, you know what? The hardest thing for us to do is just rest. Just trust the Lord. Just wait on him. You know, like Norm said, at least they didn't take away video meetings. Right? We were still live streaming through the whole thing. Right? The gospel was still going out. It wasn't Although we couldn't meet and it was hard, it was hard. But the gospel was still going out. They can't, they, they, can't, they can't put a seal on that, can they? Until maybe the Lord will let that happen one day. But let's, let's hope. It's, I hope it's not in my lifetime. But if it is, I'm just going to keep preaching the gospel. Right? That's all we can do, isn't it? That's all we can do. My, oh, my. And again, note in verse 7, this is written to born-again, blood-washed saints of God, this text. It's written, be patient, therefore, brethren, divinely loved ones. Do you know that if you're, if you're one of God's people, you're a divinely loved one? My, that's incredible. Loved by God? Chosen by God? Redeemed by God? Yes. He's loved you with an everlasting love. I'll tell you what. I never knew what love was until I found out that the Lord died for my soul on Calvary's cross. It's nothing compared to the love that we experience on this earth, is it? That someone who's sinless would give his life for me, a sinner, and me who's still a sinner, even after I'm saved, that God would do that for me? That he did that for me? The one who one time used to curse his name? My, oh my. Greater love hath no man than this. Than a man laid down his life for his friends. He takes rebels. And that's what we are at heart. He takes rebels and turns us into ones who praise him. It's amazing. It's that, and that's all according to God's grace and mercy in and through Christ Jesus our Lord, right? All through him. We have nothing to boast in. Turn, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5. You know that patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And patience, I mean, in the text here is long-suffering. The word patience isn't amongst the, amongst the um, fruit of the Spirit. But again, the underlying Greek word for patience here is long-suffering. So let's see what Galatians chapter 5 says. Look at this. And remember, okay, now, now, in religion, you ever, you ever experienced this when you were in religion? Those of us who were in religion, you ever experienced this? 
Man, I just wish I could be more joyful. I wish I could be more patient with people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be more patient with people. I'm going to try to be a better person. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be a better person, is there? But we always did it in the, I did it in the guise of gaining merit and favor with God. Right? Well, God will certainly bless me if I become more long-suffering. <laughs> it's so hard to work in the flesh. It's such duty and such work, and it just grinds you down. I remember going in, I'd hear a sermon. I felt worse. I felt worse when I came out in religion than when I went in. And then, and then this, the preacher would have to say something like, well, you've got to be more long-suffering. And so right off the bat, you leave and you think, I'm going to be more long-suffering this week. And what happens? You're driving a car and you get mad at somebody right away. And then you feel like, oh, man, I'm such a failure. Right? That, that was my experience in religion. Oh, my. Look at this. Oh, note, note that this is the fruit of the Spirit. See, that, what, that which I was trying to do was the fruit of the flesh. We can't muster up these things. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. God must work in us these things. And he does. He does. And it's, it, we know it's gradual for us. But if you look back, you're not the same person you were five years ago in Christ. The things you've learned, the, you, you, we, we, we grow and we don't even see it ourselves. Look at this though. Again, it's, a, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, this is what the Holy Spirit works in us, is love. Love for the gospel, love for the brethren, love for Christ, right? love for the scriptures, My. love for one another, things we never had before the Lord saved us. Joy, this is not fake joy, this is true joy. That amidst all the turmoils that happen in our lives, we still have that underlying current of joy in the Lord. Right? And it says, peace. This is the peace that passes all understanding that keeps our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, when I keep my eyes on Christ, I, I have more peace, personally, than when I'm looking at the world. If I start looking at the world, I lose my peace just like that. My, so peace. And again, the Holy Spirit has to work this in us. Think of this, we're, we're looking at a situation in the world, we're going to get all, we do, we get riled up, and then when we get our mind focused on Christ, we get a peaceful feeling, right? You know what, that's, that's the Holy Spirit working that in us, beloved. Giving us that ability to look away from the things of the world and look to Christ. See, the world doesn't have that. It has no peace. I know, because I was there. My and then it says gentleness, or no, then it says long-suffering, which is patience in the Greek, or in, the, in our text, and patience is, is long-suffering in our text, so long-suffering. Putting up with things, right? Being more gentle with people. And then it says gentleness, next. Goodness, faith. Oh, faith's a fruit of the Spirit? Yep. Faith's a gift from God. 
And then we see that it's a fruit of the Spirit. When God increases our faith, beloved, that comes from God. We don't increase our own faith. How, what, what happens sometimes when we're reading, we're going, oh my gosh, and we just glean something from the Scriptures, right, that we never saw before. It gives us such strength. And we think about it for a month or two sometimes. And man, we just, we get so much out of it. Well, that's strengthening your faith, beloved. And it makes us look to Christ even more. See? So that's a fruit of the Spirit too. Meekness. Quiet strength. Quiet strength. Temperance. Not, not, not going one way or the other in things. Temperate. Against such there's no law. So who do we wait upon? Well, we wait upon the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, don't we? We wait upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Be patient. James here is exhorting the brethren to be patient. under And remember, they're suffering. These brethren are suffering, just like the saints at at Thessalonica, they're suffering through trials and tribulations of this life. They're being persecuted for their faith. And James here says, just be patient. Be patient under the sufferings and afflictions until their death or the coming of the Lord. We're either going to die before his coming or we'll be here when he comes back. We don't know which. God knows. And that's good enough for me. I know it's good enough for you too, isn't it? We're just going to trust him. And we are here on this earth and we have trials and we wait patiently through them. We're not to murmur against his providence. We're not to seek vengeance on other people. No. No. It says this, For we know that, for we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Oh my. And then the scripture says here, Behold, the husband man waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Let's go back and read that verse 7 of James chapter 5 again. And see, we see the second part. It says, Behold, the husband man waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Well, this is a reference to our great God and King, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're to be like the farmer or the gardener who, pre who sows the precious seed and then waits patiently until God gives the increase. Brother Neil, he sows, he sows seed for corn, right? And he just waits. For God to give the increase. He waits for God to give the rain. He waits for God to give the increase. Brother Tom, he's a gardener and he plants all kinds of vegetables and stuff. And, and he plants the vegetables and waits for God to give the increase. So that's what's being brought forth here. We're to wait patiently and expectantly for the harvest. And we see here that James is a metaphor which the people of those times we're well acquainted with, and we still are today. A farmer or a gardener. The husbandman or the farmer waits for the fruit to come. 
in waits and patience. Turn, if you would, to Joel, the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 23. And we'll see here a reference to the former and latter rain, which speaks of Christ. Which speaks of Christ. Joel 2, verse 23. Be glad then, ye children of Zion. So this is written to God's people again. And rejoice in the Lord, your God. Rejoice in Jehovah Elohim. It says there in Hebrew. For he hath given you the former rain moderately and will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. So the farmer and gardener waits for the early rains and also waits for the latter rains in the season. And they do not fret. You know, you plant your seeds and the earth doesn't immediately give fruit, does it? No. You got to wait. (laughs) And you wait patiently. You plant a tomato plant, you can't wait to eat one of them tomatoes, right? I used to like radishes. I couldn't wait till mom's radishes came up. I go out there and tell her, I'll pull every radish you want, Mom. But I ate half of them, too, while I was out there. Take a little salt shaker in your pocket and, right? My, it was awesome. I loved it. But we waited patiently for that increase to come. And I'll tell you what, our Lord's coming, coming back. There's no one on this earth who knows the time of the day. As I said last week, if... Someone makes a day and says that this is the certain day the Lord's coming back. You can, you, can, you can rest assured that the Lord is not coming back that day. Not at all. No man knows the hour of the day. The Father knows. And then look at verse 8. It says here, Be ye also patient, again, long-suffering. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. So establish your hearts in Christ. Keep your hearts set upon him. Because the coming of the Lord is coming closer. It's closer. It's closer today than it was yesterday, isn't it? And people mock. Let them mock. Maybe the Lord will save one of them like he did with me. <laughs> That's our hope, eh? They, they, oh, I... They, they do it ignorantly, some of them. Some of them do it knowingly, but some of them do it ignorantly too. Just keep them in your prayers. Be ye also patient, long-suffering, establishing your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. So here's an exhortation, again, by James, to the church to be patient. Be patient for the one who redeemed us is coming back. Be patient because the one who saved our souls is coming back. He's coming back. We don't know when. We might go home to be with him before he comes back. But we might be here when he comes back. We have no idea. So we wait patiently for the return of the king. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. The one who holds everything in his power mine so like the farmer who waits patiently for all the means that are necessary for a full and fruitful harvest 
which is the reins? Let we who are the people of God wait patiently for the means of divine grace which are necessary to try our faith. So let us keep our hearts established upon Christ through the trials that come our way. And they will come and they do come. But let us keep our eyes on our King. He's ordained those. He's ordained them for us to go through. And I find that when I'm suffering trials or persecution or anything like that, I'm drawn closer to the Lord than I did before. Whether it be health problems or heart problems or suffering for our faith, we're drawn closer. As Sister Barb said one time, all those things make us homesick for heaven. Right? They make us long for home. My, oh my. And our Lord is mindful of every situation we go through. The very hairs of our head are numbered. So he's aware of every single tear that falls from our eyes. He's aware from every cry that comes from our heart. He's aware of it all. All of it. And he gives us comfort and strength, doesn't he? Through the preaching of the gospel, through the reading of the word, sometimes just fellowshipping with another believer. And our hearts are lifted up in joy to our king. Oh, he strengthens us through these circumstances. And the scripture declares they all work for his glory and for our good. Now, we don't always see that. We usually do after the circumstance. We usually do after them. But before that, while we're going through it, where it hurts. And it's hard. My, oh, my. And it says here, establish your hearts, which in the Greek means to set fast. Set your heart fast. Fix your heart upon Christ. Fix your heart upon the Redeemer. It also means to fix firmly. So firmly fix your mind upon him who is the only hope for sinners. And firmly fix to the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. He's, and you know what? It's not going to be a private secret thing. It's going to be very public. Very public. My, oh my. Well, why does James write these words? Why does the Holy Spirit have James write these words where it says, establish your hearts? Because we're so prone to forget. We're so prone to question God's love and providence. Scripture says this, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He knows. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. So how then is the heart of the believer set fast and firmly, as our text brings forth? By the word of God. By the preaching of the gospel of God's free grace and salvation in him, a complete, full salvation in Christ. My fellowship with one another, encouragement with one another makes our heart be of good cheer, doesn't it? And we are to again just keep looking to Christ's return. Turn, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 
Lift up your heads, beloved, and hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. It's coming. He's coming. Every day is getting closer. There's a text here I want us to look at. Now, when I was in Oregon, I had a young man that attended church with us out there who grew up in a grace church. His dad was Gene Harmon out in California. He called me one day and he says, Wayne, I keep hearing this stuff about the rapture and all this stuff. And he goes, I've never really heard of that stuff. He goes, I've heard people talk about it, but I've never heard it preached. And I said, okay. I said, well, that's understandable being in a grace church that you wouldn't, you wouldn't hear that. And he goes, well, what, what's the scripture that they use to, to bring forth the so-called rapture? And I took him to this passage we're going to look at today. You know what he said to me? Now, remember, he's, he's, not, he's not being trained in any kind of eschatology, which is end times um, stuff. He doesn't know about dispensationalism or post or He doesn't know about post, pre, and uh, amillennial. He doesn't know about any of that stuff. He's never learned it. All he's been taught is from the scriptures. And I read him this portion of scripture, and you know what he said? That's the second coming of Christ. And I said, amen, brother. Let's look at this. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses. We're going to go all the way into chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 16, and we're going to go all the way into 511. First Thessalonians. Chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout in the voice of the, of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So these words are supposed to bring us comfort. Because the Lord is not going to leave any of his sheep behind. You notice that? The ones that are dead, their bodies are going to be raised. The ones that are alive, they're going to be caught up at his coming. There's not going to be one sheep of God left behind. So comfort one another with these words. Look at this. But at the times, look at verse 1 of chapter 5. But at the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. Why? Because it's none of our business. This is God's calendar. No one knows when the Lord's coming back except God the Father. He's the only one. He's the only one. He's in full control. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. So people have taken that and said, well, this is a secret coming. No, it just means it's coming. he's coming like a thief comes and you don't know when he's coming. That's all that means. It'll come upon people and they won't expect it. Because the world's not looking for him. Right? For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Think of the days of Noah. Oh, they were eating and drinking. They were mocking Noah. They were mocking them, right? What happened? Destruction came upon them. That's exactly what's talking about here. When the Lord comes back, it'll be sudden destruction for the ungodly. Sudden destruction for all who are not safe in Christ. That's what that says. 
They say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as a travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Look at that. Not one will escape the wrath of God. People say, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Him. You're not going to escape His wrath. Do you think think God's up there wringing His hands when people say, I don't believe in Him? Scripture says He laughs. Laughs at their calamity. We think we're so much (laughs) and we're nothing. Oh my. My, oh my. Look at this though. All this means is that it's going to come quickly and people won't expect it. But ye brethren, look at this. Now look at this. Look at this. But ye brethren are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light. We're born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And the children of the day, we are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep shall sleep in the night, and they that are be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, you know I use that scripture all the time for who made us to differ and what do we have that we didn't receive. Look at this next verse. I never saw this verse until we did the study of 1 Thessalonians. And I I think I repeated this verse a hundred times to y'all after that because it's just absolutely incredible. For God hath not appointed us to wrath. Who made you to differ? God's not appointed you to wrath. God's, we're vessels of honor, not vessels of dishonor. It's God who made the difference. Isn't this beautiful? For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Where's man in that? Where's man's supposed free will in that? When did God not appoint us to wrath? In eternity. I didn't have a clue. I was a children, when I was younger and a rebel and doing whatever I wanted to do, I had no idea that I wasn't appointed to wrath. I was out doing whatever I wanted to do. And, and I'll tell you what, if it wasn't for God's preserving grace, I probably would have destroyed myself. By my drinking and other stuff that I was doing, I probably would have destroyed myself. But God not appointed me to wrath. And if you're a believer, God's not appointed you to wrath. Isn't that beautiful? That's absolutely incredible. He's not appointed. And this, again, is written to God's people. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. In him, through him, completely, he's did it all. He is the perfect redeemer, beloved. It's all through him. Who died, what? For us. Oh, Christ died for us, beloved. Whether we wake or sleep, whether we're sleeping or whether we're awake, right? We should live together with him. Wherefore, now it says, wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as you do also. Oh my gosh, what a blessing. God had not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. All because, and I'm going to stop here, all because it pleased him to do so. Hallelujah. 
Praise his mighty 